The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I want to read today from the uh, book of Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter 25, and we'll begin with verse 21. entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah his wife conceived and the children struggled together within her and she said if it be so why am I thus and she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now all of you that are regular Bible readers know that reference is being made here to Jacob and Esau, and most of us are very familiar with how Paul establishes the doctrine of election in Romans chapter 9 by using Jacob and Esau as an illustration. But notice here in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23 that the Lord says to Rebecca, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people. So I want to speak to you today on two manner of people. To use a word that is much more common to us, we could say two kinds of people. And interestingly, the Lord is here making a very significant statement because it applies universally and it applies so much to our life today. And by understanding this, it will help us significantly in our efforts to serve the Lord. There are two kinds of people in this world. Now this is such an important concept that not only is it mentioned in the first book of the Old Testament, but it's also mentioned in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And after the book of Malachi, there was about 400 years of silence as far as the people of God receiving new revelation from the Lord. Notice in Malachi chapter 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So here, this is a reference to these two children, these twins that the Lord told Rebekah would be born to her. Again, that was recorded in the first book of the Old Testament. And here, just prior to 400 years of silence, this concept is again repeated by the Lord. And he here establishes what is even more thoroughly established in Romans chapter 9, which is the doctrine of election, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. I've heard people say, I don't see how the Lord could hate anyone. Well, I like to say, I don't see how the Lord could love anyone. Because the Lord is so infinitely holy and righteous, and we in our nature are described by the scriptures as corrupt. Something that is corrupt is rotten. It is decaying. It is, a, as the Bible says, a stench in the nostrils of the Lord. But this clearly establishes from a foundational, fundamental doctrinal standpoint that there are two kinds of people in this world. And that's what we want to focus on for the balance of our time. You may say, well, brother, buddy, that's a subject we're very familiar with. And that's in our articles of faith. We believe in the doctrine of election. But I hope to bring this to you in a manner today that you will see that this has a lot to do with your day-to-day life. Now notice, first of all, in Psalms uh, 14 and verse 1, and this is so important that it's repeated verbatim in Psalm 53 and verse 1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now that's the first kind of people we want to look at. Now personally, I believe that's a very, very small minority of the people on the earth. Now you may see that differently and that's okay with me because all we're focusing on is there are two kinds of people. There is a heaven where God's elect will go And there is a hell where the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire. And I'm not really that interested in the population of hell. I'm much more interested in what the Bible teaches about the unnumerable population of heaven. You know, one preacher said, uh, if we're more concerned about hell than heaven, then sometimes that may indicate that That's part of who we are. I'm not more interested in hell than heaven. I'm interested in heaven, but I do want to realize that it glorifies God that he judges those that are not redeemed by the blood of Christ. That brings glory to God. A lot of people don't realize that. That God can only be just and God can only be holy if sin is not only judged, but eternally judged. God's wrath upon the wicked, God's wrath upon sin can never be satisfied. But aren't you also glad 
that the redemption we have in Christ can never be nullified. It is secure and will never lose the benefits of what we have in Christ. But there's one kind of people out there that say in their heart, there is no God. Now for some reason, there are particular fields of study are fields of employment that tend to draw these kind of people. It seems like they're becoming more and more of them in academics, teaching in colleges and universities. And I've said this several times, if you have a professor, though he may have a Ph.D., if he tells you there's no God, you can just file away in your mind that that man is a fool. Amen. And I'm going to listen to what he has to say, and I'm going to take the test and try to make a good grade, but from that point forward, I will associate with that man no more. Amen. And that's what the Bible teaches. And of course, in Romans chapter 3, there is such a detailed description of this kind of people that is in the world. Notice in Romans chapter 3. Verse 10. And by the way, this describes every one of us when left to ourselves, untouched by the grace of God, void of spiritual life, while yet dead in trespasses and sin. As a matter of fact, you can read in Ephesians 2, I believe it's verse 3, that before you were born again, remember this now, before you were born again, you are exactly in nature identical to those that will never be born again. An elect child of God by nature is identical to the non-elect prior to the new birth. So the next time you see someone do something evil and wicked and you're tempted to say, I don't see how anyone could do that. Just remember that principle. Even when we're born again, we have a capability to do wicked things depending on which nature we allow to reign in these mortal bodies. But notice here in Romans chapter 3, the emphasis here is on those that are not born of the Spirit, whether they be an elect child of God that will be born of the Spirit sometime in the future, or whether it be those that will die in their sins. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, or verse 10, as it is written, in other words, Paul's just restating something that's recorded in the Old Testament. And remember, in the same way that Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 say the same truth, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and that makes it very important in like manner. Paul reemphasizes, and as a matter of fact, goes into great detail regarding something in the Old Testament, then this is very important. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit often anticipates our response? There's none righteous, not even one. Right, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's you if left alone by the Holy Spirit. That's you if you are not loved by God, redeemed by Christ, and born of the Spirit. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That means your mouth is like a sewer. Your mouth is like a grave with a corrupt body on the inside. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's why we need to be very careful about what we say. But he says, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, that's the fool's mindset. There is no God. And if he doesn't exist, why should they fear a being that's just in their conception the figment of our imagination? You know, those that are not born of the Spirit have a lot of ideas as to why Christians believe as they do. Some of them will say, well, that's just for the weak-minded. Those that can't handle the reality of life. Those that can only, uh, only get through life with some kind of crutch. A concept that is not real. But instead of looking at it as weakness for those that cannot get through life otherwise, I suggest that it's the, the real, true substance that the wicked don't have that sustains the righteous through the trials of life. You see, the Bible says in the world you shall have tribulation. The Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'll show you momentarily that that's generally not the case with the wicked. I like what I heard a preacher say one time. Would you rather this world be the best you're ever going to have it or the worst you're ever going to have it? I prefer the latter, don't you? That's right. If this world was the best I was ever going to have, I would be consumed with despair, Amen. wouldn't you? Amen. And then notice also in Psalm 73, not only does the fool say there is no God, not only is he void of the fear of God, But there is a mindset and an experience that he has in this life. Now, if you recall, this is where David became envious of the prosperity of the wicked. So that indicates that most of the time the wicked do well in this world if the child of God, especially a child of God, Uh, The heading of this psalm says this is a psalm of Asaph, but regardless of who the writer is, it's a child of God that struggles with the same uh, struggles you do. And he said, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, my neighbor cares nothing about God. 
He has no fear of God. He's cussing all the time. He's, he's selfish and mistreats other people, but everything goes well in his life. And I try to live a godly life, and so many things seem to go wrong. But I want you to notice here how the psalmist described their mindset. It says there are no bands in their death, verse 4, but their strength is firm. My strength's not firm in this world. How about you? Oh, they feel secure and confident in this world. He says they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. I recall Job in his experience. Job had the worst plague and suffering of any man other than the Lord Jesus Christ, at least of recorded uh, history from God's inspired word. Job seems to have suffered more than any man. <laughs> and he was a child of God. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. You know, we struggle so much with covetousness, and we're never satisfied. It says the wicked have more than they could wish. <laughs> See, we can't even enjoy the world like they do. If we try to enjoy the world, we can't enjoy it like they do. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. That means they speak highly. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. But notice down in verse 17 for the sake of time. Here was the cure for the psalmist in me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. And I would encourage you to read the balance of that psalm to see a description of their end. But you know there's another kind of people in this world. And that's the kind of people I'm interested in. I'm glad to know, I'm glad the Bible teaches me about that kind of people I've been talking about so far. So we'll know there are really people like that. Right. Not everyone is like you in the sense that they struggle with sin all the time, but it bothers them. Mm -hmm. There are some people that love sin, and it never bothers them. Right. There are some people, as I heard a preacher say one time, they can murder someone and walk down the sidewalk whistling Dixie. Yeah. It doesn't bother them at all. And you know, it reminds me, I've talked to Brother Chris McCool and a couple of other prosecutors. And they both, two or three, have told me that the majority of the people they prosecute show evidence that they are children of God who allowed sin to reign in their life. 
maybe they committed a crime because they were addicted to drugs and they were out of their mind. You know, Paul said, uh, be, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If you're drunk with wine, you're influenced by the wine and you can't be influenced by the Spirit of God. And that same principle applies to drugs. Maybe it was in a rage of jealousy when they, a man caught his wife or a wife caught her husband in bed with another woman or another man and they murdered them in their anger. But those prosecutors have also told me that they've had a few cases where you could tell the person on trial was wicked to the core. Yeah. And I've had more than one of them tell me it was a scary situation because it was as if Satan was there in the courtroom. Right. There are people like that. Yes, there are. Amen. You know, I think of, and I don't want to give too many examples, but I think of, for example, Charles Manson. Now, only God knows who are his. Yeah. And in the same way God quickened the thief right before he died, he can quicken e any evil men before they die. You say, Brother Buddy, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, look at Saul. He wasn't quickened before he died. But how would you like a murderer to be your pastor? A murderer of your brothers and sisters in the church, how would you like that man to be your pastor? Well, that was... The case with Paul, I realize he was primarily a traveling evangelist, but I'm just making that principle that here's a minister of the gospel that was used to write over half the New Testament who was formerly a murderer. Yeah. Even a witness that stood and supported the uh, stoning of Stephen who gave such a great defense of the gospel and his faith in God even as he was dying. Right. So you see... There are wicked people in this world and God's people can be very wicked if they have not been dealt with by the Holy Spirit and furthermore, they can allow sin to reign right. in their mortal bodies. But let's look at the general condition I usually don't look at my watch this much, but I think it's because I started at 11.20. So y'all remember that. I started at 11.20. Brother, we're here with you. You preach. Now, this other kind of people, notice in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12. Now, this is, a, this is speaking of the Lord's people in the Old Testament. But one of the things I've always enjoyed about reading the prophets is they give such a, a beautiful picture description of the Lord's spiritual kingdom right. today. Amen. And this certainly can be drawn from Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 12 where the Lord says, I will leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now I can relate to that kind Amen. of people, can't you? Aren't you glad that the church is not made up of those who have arrived. <laughs> it's not made up of those who, who have their act together. Amen. Now, I'm not suggesting that as a member of the church, you should continue to wallow in the sins you were involved in prior to you becoming a baptized believer. But nonetheless, the, the, the mindset and the feeling of those that are true converts 
to the gospel of Christ is they are an afflicted and poor people. That's why they love the pure gospel. That's why they don't want to believe any other gospel. That's why they want to be able to lay down at night and say my salvation is secure because it's not dependent upon anything I do. They're the people that love the gospel. If you feel okay with your life, like a book that was written about 30 years, I'm okay, you're okay. If you feel okay, then you don't need this gospel. Right. Amen. But notice in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mouth, mouth emphasizes these same points. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That feels that makes me feel like that maybe I can be a part of it. Yeah. Verse, uh, verse 2, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Maybe I'm qualified to be a member. If the ones that have part of it are those that are poor in spirit, those that mourn over their sins, and those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you share that experience? Does that give you hope that maybe you're qualified to be a member of the Lord's church here on earth? You know who's qualified? Those that feel like they're unqualified. Those are the only people that are qualified. If you feel like you're qualified and the church needs you, Please do not become a member of the church. But if you want to come forward and say, Brethren, I don't know why y'all would have me. If you know my past life, you certainly wouldn't receive me. But the only reason I'm up here is because I believe Jesus is my only hope. I tell you, the church will vote without division on that. And if there's any division, you need to withdraw from those that opposed it when you have someone like that making a profession of faith. Not only was this point emphasized by the prophet Zephaniah and by the Lord, but here's one of my favorite passages regarding this subject. Look at the last chapter of the book of Isaiah. I love the description of the Lord's mindset. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I don't know about you, but if I occupied that position, I wouldn't be too interested in little feeble men on this earth. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Now, the point there is that The Lord is saying, you can't build a house that will impress me. I realize that that the Lord commanded his people to build the tabernacle in the wilderness and build that, that impressive temple for the true worship of God. But the point made in this context is the Lord saying, you can't build a house that will impress me because I own everything you build it with. I designed and created all the things you build it with. says, where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. Now watch this. 
but to this man will I look. Now I tell you, when I read that, I want to read the rest of the verse. And if you've never read this verse and you haven't read the remainder of the verse yet, you're, you're going to be prone to think, well, I know I'm not going to be included in that category. Unto this man will I look. In other words, here's who has God's attention. Unto this man will I look. To him, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, that's the attitude, that's the mindset, and trembleth at my word. Now, the idea there of trembling at the word of God is not to have terror whenever you read the Bible, but when you read the Bible, you say, this is the word of God, and I Amen. yield to its teaching. Amen. If you ever catch yourself saying, I know the Bible says that, but you're on dangerous ground. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes. He describes when we come into the house of God to be more ready to hear than to listen. He says, when you come into the house of God, let your words be few. You know, in Nehemiah's day, they read, when the word of God was read, the people stood up for several hours when the word of God was being read. Now I realize we're in a spiritual kingdom today, but that certainly should describe our attitude, shouldn't it? Amen. When the word of God is being read, we stand up in our minds. You know, I heard a preacher say one time, it used to bother me to read a lot of scripture from the pulpit, but he said, then I realized that's the only time everything I'm saying is 100% true. <laughs> you know, whenever I'm talking, you've got to always test it by the scripture. But if I'm reading the Bible, you don't have to test it with anything because that is God's word. Amen. That's infallible, and he's preserved it for us today. Amen. Unto this man will I look, to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. Then look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. I'm glad that I not only relate to the three references I've given, but this is a companion text, we might say. In other words, these two go together. See, if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn over your sins, if you hunger for righteousness, if you're filled to be an afflicted and poor person, then if a man comes along and preaches to you, here's what you need to do to be saved. That doesn't comfort you, does it? But notice this. Ever heard someone say, well, you old Baptist, all you have is a hope. Now, I acknowledge we've preached that wrong. I've witnessed it myself. So it's not always that person's fault. Matter of fact, I believe when I was growing up, it was more our fault than theirs because that's the idea we presented. We would say, well, you know, I it's almost as if we we're saying, I doubt if I'm a child of God. All I have is a small microscopic hope that is even hardly there. But listen to what Paul said. 
he told the young preacher that I'm in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Hope is a confident expectation. And you know, I've tried to explain this several times, and I feel like I never do a good job, so I'm just going to say it and not try to explain it. I much prefer the word hope over I know. Don't you? The word hope indicates that that there's no focus on me. It's not my self-confidence. It's not that I'm so spiritual that I always have a strong faith. That word hope is projecting your confidence on Christ. I'm in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And then look at Hebrews chapter 6 in case you're tempted to diminish hope or if one of your friends or co-workers who is not an old Baptist is critical of that, then here's a good reference. You can either read to them or refer them to to read on their own. Hebrews 6 verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater... And an oath for confirmation is to them the end of all strife. Now that's sort of like saying, you know, if you go buy a house, they're going to require more of you than just say, well, I promise I'll make the payments for the next 30 years. They're going to require you to sign some documents, and there's no strife after that. Now you may not make the payments, but there's no question as to who's going to get the house if you don't make the payments. Uh, He says here that uh, uh, that for them, uh, men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now what point is he making there? He's saying men uh, swear, they make an oath, and it says God more abundantly, it's intention for, for himself to more abundantly show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. In other words, God's counsel is already immutable. It's already unchangeable. That's what the word means. But it says he also confirmed it by an oath. God doesn't need to make an oath. He did that for our benefit, for our assurance. And then he describes what this is to us in terms of experience. Mm -hmm. That by two immutable things... Not only did God say it, that makes us unchangeable, but God confirmed it with an oath, and that makes it unchangeable. But he also says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. You ever heard a preacher say, there's a few things God can't do, and you start getting uneasy, and then they'll (laughs) present something like this. It's impossible for God to lie. That's right. Amen. That we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now I want you to see that. Where is your hiding place? 
Where is your refuge? Where do you go to escape the storms of this life? It says we have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Now I want you to see what he means by that when he talks about the hope that is set before us. I believe it's in uh, 1 Timothy. You know, sometimes when you're preaching, the verse doesn't come to your mind until you're in the pulpit. You may not be able to recall exactly where it is, but let me see if I can turn to that uh, quickly. You have to look this up this afternoon. I'll get that to you this afternoon. But the point is this. We fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. That's referring to heaven. That's referring to what we long for now that'll be a reality in heaven. When we get to heaven, you know, the Apostle Paul said, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Uh, but the greatest of these is charity. In heaven you won't need faith. In heaven you won't need hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And faith is the substance of things not seen. When you get to heaven, you're going to see the Lord. When you get to heaven, the evidence uh, is going to become a reality. But charity, listen now, charity will be perfected for the first time ever in heaven. We try to be charitable here and implement those principles of 1 Corinthians 13, but we fall so far short. That won't be the case in heaven. Now, let me just look at a couple of more verses. And not only is this hope an anchor for our soul, but look at verse 19 in Hebrews chapter 6. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. That's heaven. Yes. And I could find several verses that will prove this point. That our hope serves us in the sense that we can lay hold on eternal life. You know, when Paul told Timothy to lay hold on eternal life, he wasn't telling Timothy how to get saved. He was saying, Timothy, lay hold on what you already have. Amen. Like Paul told the Galatians, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. The standing fast doesn't save you. Christ saved you. Christ made you free. And you need to accept that truth and firmly stand in it so you can benefit in this world Amen. from what Christ did. So you see, there are two kinds of people in this world. And they are polar opposites. There are those that have no fear of God. There are those that say in their heart, there is no God. Their eyes stick out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. One of the verses I didn't go to in Psalms says that their attitude is toward the toward authority, and this would 
uh, especially apply toward the authority of God. Let us break their bands asunder. Yeah. You know, one day they're going to submit whether they want to or not. Right. And I like what I've heard preached many times when Jesus said um, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That's a universal application there. You say, Brother Buddy, how can someone that's not born again uh, confess the Lord? They're not going to confess Him because they have faith and confidence in Him as their Savior. They're going to confess Him because they're going to be in His physical presence. Yeah. You don't need any spiritual life to know He's real when you're in His physical presence. Right. And I don't know what will look at next time but the real practical application of this is for us to recognize that when I was born again I did not lose the nature of the wicked when I was born again I was given a new nature a, another nature and your whole life until the day you die is a battle between those two natures. Amen. Someone says, well, Brother Buddy, don't you believe that if someone's born of the Spirit, they'll persevere in godliness? I tell you, I'm glad I don't believe that. Because I'm failing all the time. And why in the world would Paul say, let not sin reign in your mortal body if it weren't possible for it Lord, to do so? If yeah. sin could not dominate your life, Paul would not be inspired to say, brethren, don't allow sin to reign in your mortal body. He would not have been inspired to say, uh, don't have the attitude, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. Why in the world would Paul uh, warn you not to do something that's impossible for you to do? Right. Amen. So I hope you can, as I do, Think primarily of all the verses that I've referenced. Think primarily of those that talk about the poor in spirit. Because I believe that describes us. And that's the ones that will truly enjoy the Lord's kingdom in this earth. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.